There is only one place you can get a true Colorado mountain pie. It's your favorite locally owned, legendary, unbelievably delicious pizza joint, Bojo's. The Colorado mountain pie has become a staple for not only natives, but for those who are just passing through and want to know where the best pizza in town is. Bojo's is the only answer. Bojo's dough is made fresh daily and contains locally sourced honey. You heard that right. They infuse their dough with natural sweetener and it is to die for. There is something for Everyone at Bojo's. Large, delicious mountain pies for the entire family, a huge salad bar with fresh veggies galore, Colorado beer on tap, including our personal favorite, Breck Brews, and your favorite sports team playing in the background. Bojo's has a private party rooms for all your holiday get-togethers or to celebrate birthdays and other large events. They have $4 happy hours in select locations and even gluten-free and plant-based options. Nothing is more important to Bojo's than their community which is why they are always happy to help you raise money for your fundraising causes. Host your next fundraising event at any of their five Front Rage locations. Check out their site today at bojos.com. That's B-E-A-U-J-O-S.com and tell them who sent you. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. Shoots and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call JT Comfer! 877 goes now! Gabriel Landeskog! Collective hugs! 29 and 92! See me by Grubauer! Move over, Picasso! This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious! Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their Colorado locations and use Express Checkout to be in and out in minutes or check out online at mygreensolution.com and use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are answering your questions on this Thursday because the Avs play a pretty big game tonight against the St. Louis Blues, and we will have that to talk about tomorrow. Friday. So I want to start off with a question of my own. I know we're a hockey podcast and we'll focus on that for the most part, but (laughs) it's that time of year. The NFL playoffs is going on. And even for me, who is not a big football fan, playoffs in any sport are playoffs. That's when things get interesting. (laughs) AJ, I know you're much more knowledgeable than I am. You got any favorites this year in the football playoffs? Well, the weird part is not seeing New England with a first round bye. Yeah, uh, I mean, it took uh, quite the event there. The Dolphins beating them to knock them out. But yeah, and because uh, they've been a one or a two seed the entire time the last 10 years. When you talk about their incredible run and them making the AFC championship all those times and obviously all the Super Bowls and all that. The big thing is, is that they've always played a second round game at home. And yep. sometimes they've had to go on the road uh, in that in that championship, and some and a lot of times they haven't. But the big thing is that they've never had to go. Not once in the last ten years have they have they had to go through Wild Card Weekend, and I think that that's a, I think that's a big thing. I think that'll be a that'll be an important factor because they've been so special um, at at home for so long, they've just been unbeatable. And I mean, they're very hard to beat everywhere, but at home, they've just been invincible in the, in the postseason. And the one franchise that really kind of has always uh, given them fits has been Baltimore. And, you know, now the road in the AFC rolls through Baltimore. So I think uh, I, I, I like I think Baltimore and and Kansas City are probably the two teams that I would say you have to watch out the most for and I I I think the biggest thing that I that makes me nervous about the Ravens is trusting them in a close game after a year of them just waxing teams. 
So no faith in in Patrick Mahomes there, or maybe some faith to, <clears throat> to blow up the Ravens on a final drive or something. Yeah, I have a lot more faith. Uh, I certainly have a lot more faith in Mahomes than I do in Lamar Jackson translating the success from regular season to postseason. It's hard to do, man. Like it's 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 something you got to learn how to do a little bit. And I think that uh, Mahomes has that advantage over over Jackson right now and. I um I just think Kansas City has all the tools. Uh and and I mean Mahomes is just so special. I I agree with you on that one as a someone who doesn't know football very well. In the in the NFC I honestly just don't care that much yeah. about. I mean everything I've heard is Packers are total pretenders this year and so I don't really know anything about the <laughs> NFC side, to be honest. But yeah, you know, Kyle Shanahan's done a great job out in San Francisco. It's that they've spent so much draft capital on defense that it's not surprising that their defense is really good now. Um, and Kyle Shanahan coaches a really uh, coaches and calls a really good offensive uh, game. So I think that. Uh, you know, obviously San Francisco, they're, they're the one seed that's easy to look at them and say that they're pretty good. Um, Seattle's given them fits. Seattle gives everybody fits this time of year. They're, Russell Wilson is a very difficult out, and despite all the flaws that their roster always has, they're always involved because they just find a way because you have an elite quarterback who just refuses to die. And, you know, it's a pretty good thing to have this time of year. Um, but I, no. The Drew Brees in his 40s, like, go Saints. They're easy to Fair look enough. For. Fair enough. Uh, let's transition that defense talk a little bit towards the abs. We had multiple questions asking about the <clears> defense <throat> ranging from Zadorov's fit into the team to should the abs bring Tyson Berry back? And I think it's a good what? jumping off point. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how they bring Berry back at all, but... I think it's a good jumping off point from the 49ers saying they spent a bunch of draft capital on their D to make it really good. That's what the abs have essentially done now as well with obviously Makar on the team. Gerard isn't draft capital, but he was acquired as essentially a prospect or very young player. And they have Byram and Timmons around the corner. Mm -hmm. So I think the point that I'm trying to make here is, I don't see how the Avs go out and acquire another defenseman. It just doesn't make sense for the organization. And it, it, there are special edge cases. If someone really good suddenly becomes available, then you can have that conversation. But as it stands right now, I don't see how the Avs adjust their defense unless you have something else in mind. Yeah, the Avs are in a weird spot where you can always get better, right? But <clears throat> the kinds of guys that Colorado would have been able to get in the past to get better. They don't need. Right. Uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the fringe upgrades, the, the kind of min maxing approach to your roster. Uh, they don't need that anymore on the, on, on the back end. They've got five guys, maybe, maybe even six guys that you think uh, can play a top four role for you in some fashion. Um, because I don't, I, I, as much as I think that like Ryan Graves is, you know, like, hey, solid third pairing defender, I think they've also found a sweet spot in how to use him around 20 minutes a night. Uh, and, and they understand that, hey, he's got, he's got chemistry with Makar and that you just work with that, right? Um, <clears throat> I also think that. You know, guys like guys like Cole and Zadorov, like these are all solid NHL players. It's not, it's not, they're not so desperate for help on the back end that they are where they were a few years ago, where it was like, hey, it's not going to be very hard to find an upgrade. The kinds of guys that would be upgrades to the players already present on this defense just aren't going to be available. And if they are, the cost for them is likely prohibitive. And then you consider that you do have Byram, you do have Timmons, uh, that you do expect both Makar and Gerard to continue to get better. All four of those guys that I just I just named are all 22 and younger. And yep. when you have that reality, you know, you don't need to <clears throat> you don't need to sit and force it and say, oh, well, we've, we've got to do something. 
Like this just has to happen. You know, I, I think that there's just a fundamental lack of understanding about what a good defense looks like. A good defense is still going to have bad games. A good defense is still going to struggle at times with lots of different, lots of different areas of the game. Like it's, it's, there are, there are very few teams that I think are truly defensively elite. And again, we've talked about this a lot in the last month, but you need, you need forwards to be committed defensively to be an elite defensive team. 100%. It's team, you know, team Canada won, uh, won gold medal behind one of the greatest defenses ever assembled. And it wouldn't have, it would not have mattered had their forwards not also cared about taking care of that end of the ice. You saw that in the jets game in my video (laughs) of the five goals that came before the empty netters, Four of the five, the forwards are flying the zone or they're out of position and mismanaging the back check, something like that. It's not all on the defenseman there. You have to have the forward support to run a solid defense. I don't care if you have the best defenders in the world. They can't defend all five players. There's only two of them. Well, and and even then, like, okay, say say that you are able to convince the two of us that they need defensive help. Okay. Where are you going to go get it? Because who who is the obvious guy that you take off the defense? You're not getting rid of you're not getting rid of Johnson's salary. You're not getting rid of Gerard. You're not getting rid of McCarr. You're definitely not getting rid of Graves now that you found him, developed him, and he's going to be a third of the price of Nikita Zadorov. So you you're talking about either Zadorov or Cole as the guy that you want to upgrade. The fan base loves Zadorov, so I'm going to assume that he's not the guy that they want to get rid of. Although, you know, it depends on which part of the fan base we're talking about here. That's a conversation closer to the deadline, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And so, okay, now you're trying to improve upon Ian Cole. Like, Ian Cole's a rock-solid NHL defender that 2017, 27 other teams would take in a heartbeat. So how do you get better than that? Is so the where point. do you go and find yeah. the better player than that? And like, it's not to say that there aren't better players than Ian Cole. Of course there are. But where are they? Why would those teams give them up? What would it cost? And how does that guy that you go out and get suddenly fit into your roster? Right. And you're. Let's be honest. If you're trying to upgrade a position like that it's probably coming from a bad team first of all because any team in the hunt is not going to want to give up a high caliber defenseman right yeah i mean and the only way that that happens is you blow a hole somewhere in your roster or your prospect pool because you're desperate to improve upon a a guy that's now on your third pairing right i i'm thinking for a bad team if you're looking to pick up one of their better defensemen that conversation probably starts with connor timmons and then you have to add from there and so, then you're talking about Bowers, and then you're talking about first-round picks. Right, and, exactly. And it's like, is this really the route that you want to go? Because, again, moving into the other four guys, uh, in McCarr, Gerard, Johnson, Graves, is not realistic. And if you look at if you look at Ian Cole and how, you know, he's supposedly untouchable, right? How he can make all the mistakes in the world, but somehow he always is in the lineup. And he's never not playing, right? And then you, it's just not, it's not based in reality. This this thing that the fans have done where Zadorov is the big victim of this Russian conspiracy against him, right? Like it's this thing and how Ian Cole is like, oh, he gets to continue humming along. First of all, they are averaging the exact same ice time. Second of all, go and look at the game logs. It's just not true. The entire month of December, how many games do you think Ian Cole played more than 20 minutes? Off the top of your head, without looking, just, just throw out a guess. How many times do you think it happened? Four or five. Four times. Yep. Four times. And that's a P.S. That's a month in which Ian Cole scored like seven points. Yeah, he decided to be an offensive defenseman in December. <laughs> like, he he was, I, I would have to go and look, but there's a chance he was their most productive offensive defenseman in the month. 
I would say almost certainly with the Makar injury. And, and if maybe you look, Graves edges him out. I don't know. But if, yeah. if you look in the last couple of in, in the last handful of games here, the stretch that they've been on where they've been losing, Ian Cole has been playing the least among all these guys. He played 15 minutes against Winnipeg, 15 minutes against um, both Minnesota and Vegas. 14.59, so essentially 15 minutes against Chicago. 16.59 against Carolina. And the, his high mark was 18.58 against Dallas in like a super tight, like... Uh, Pretty, uh, very par for the course for a third-pairing veteran defensive <laughs> defenseman type. Right, and you look at, you even look at his shifts. And it's it's in the teens and low 20s. Like this is this is not a guy that is getting tons and tons of burn here. He's being used as a third pairing defenseman now, and this idea that he's getting way overplayed and that he's Bedner's guy and that he's going to get to you know he's invincible. It just it's just not it's just not true. It just yeah. it is not it is not bared out in reality. The same way that people that want to fire Ray Bennett make the argument that the power play has been bad for years and it's just not true. It's not good this year and there's no arguing that, but it's just not true. I I'm with you on that. I mean, Ian Cole was a healthy scratch earlier this year. I think that tells you all you need to know about that. Um, We'll take our first break here, and it's time to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery because the conversation about the Avs defense often makes me want to drink. I'm going on hiatus from the Avalanche until the Avs start holding leads in the third period. So I'm drinking the Colorado Core today. It's that semi-sweet crisp apple ale, half cider half beer you know it by now from us very very tasty in my opinion even if aj prefers the strawberry sky i like my apple flavors so i'll stick with the colorado core you can find it at your local davidson's or pretty much any other liquor store or gas station or anywhere in colorado let alone around the country at this point so keep an eye out for it and also keep an eye out for the breckenridge event calendar on the dnvr.com we have breck brews at all of our events so come hang out with us and have a good time second period of the dnvr avalanche podcast presented by the green solution i'm rudo he's aj we've talked about the defense now let's talk about the guys that play behind the defense the talk of the day has been Eustace Ananen, Avs goaltender prospect, shut out the United States at the World Junior Championship in the quarterfinals. The Finns won that game one to nothing off of a 30-save performance from him. The hype has been a steady build this year. We talked about if he plays well in World Juniors, this could really catapult him into the national sphere even when it comes to goalie prospects he did have a bit of a slip-up game against the swiss but to respond like this i think he's putting himself on the map now aj your thoughts on Ananin initially and we'll kind of break down his path from there uh i i try really hard not to get excited about goaltender prospects because they are uh, so random voodoo to the max i mean so random uh, yeah, it's I mean, how many times like today somebody asked me a genuine question. Uh, how often does WJC success translate to a successful career for a goalie? And it's like it's happened a lot. There are a bunch of guys who have had great WJCs who have gone on to be good NHL players. And it's also gone the other way where some guys have been great WJC players and it never happened. Right. And like, and with goaltending, it seems, and that's like, that's true of all positions, right? There are some guys who have had great WJCs and never turned into players. Yep. But I, it goes both ways. One, 100% just perfect comparison here. Two different WJC players for Canada that had amazing performances. Carey Price. Obviously, an extremely good goaltender, at least when healthy, one of the best in the NHL. I don't think many people would argue that, especially in the early part of his career. Had a gold against average around one, a save percentage of 960 in his WJC year. Of the same coin, Zachary Fukali. Yeah. 
goals against average of 1.2, save percentage around 940 in the WJCs. He has yet to play in an NHL game five years later. He's toiling away in the ECHL. So very, very difficult to project goalies off of a small tournament performance. Yeah, and, you know, Ananen, obviously, he's had the kind of season that gets everybody excited anyway. Of course. And then to have a good WJCs like he's having right now, and I think good is probably the right word. He hasn't been dominant, hasn't been incredible. Uh, it's It's been, he's been good. I mean, shutting out the U.S., I think, ticks it up a notch. Before that, it was solid. Now it's, you're drifting into very good territory, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I, I mean, it was like... 100% uh, shutting out the U.S. was good, but the the U.S. also had a ton of problems, like namely that they were really poorly constructed from the start. Uh, they had no identity, and they didn't want to play their best players. Like they, they were perfectly content to play the tryhards over the skill guys a lot. And, uh, you know, when you go against a, a Finnish team that, knows exactly who it is every single time it touches the ice uh, and and just plays so hard. You know, Finland is is just like, it, it makes perfect sense that Carolina drafts a ton of Finns because they're the same identity. You know, they, they work really, really hard and grind you into dust and they just make life miserable for you. You have to, you have to beat them. They don't give you anything. And the U.S. wasn't able to do that. The one shot that beat Ananin, uh found post, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, the Avs know a little something about their shots finding posts. There's no doubt about that one. Um, so for Ananin, regardless of whether you're being reserved because he's a goaltender or you're, you're letting the hype run wild here, what realistically is his path? Because there's a lot of people that are starting to jump on the train of the Avs should get him over immediately. They should get him into the AHL, get him on that North American ice. Firstly, is that a big enough benefit to warrant the Avs pushing hard for it? And in reality, I think we both agree that he's probably staying in Europe next year. I think it makes the most sense for him to stay in Europe, but I think that depending on how the second half of this year goes, um, Let's just let's just crystal ball this, okay? Sure. Carpat, best team in uh, in Finland, goes on and and wins the Liga. Okay, okay. They're not not a huge leap there. They go on, they have a successful run, they win that. Uh, let's say all the top Finnish goalies are a little busy during the springtime. He goes and plays World Championships for Finland. Sure, does well at World Championships. What benefit is it for him to do it again? I would, I do wonder about the quality of the position. One thing you know for certain, if you leave him in Europe, is he's going to have the starter role on that team. Mm -hmm. He's going to, that net is his. If you're bringing him to North America in the AHL, you have to have some hard conversations. Are you going to tandem him with Adam Warner? What mm-hmm. is Adam Warner's future if you're also trying to develop Ananen in the AHL? So if you're looking at it from an organizational standpoint, it's easier to leave him in Europe in that regard. I don't know if that's what's best for him. I think you can make arguments for both the AHL and the Liga as what the second best league in the world. I think you can throw the KHL in there and maybe the Swedish league to round out the top five. But I, I wonder, especially with someone like Ananen, how big of a deal is it playing on that smaller North American ice? And to be fair, Finland does play on the hybrid. It's not the full international, so it's not quite as big of a jump for him, Mm -hmm. but it is still a difference. And, And we've seen that with Adam Werner. It has been a bit of an adjustment to that. He's talked about it as a very positional goalie in the AHL that it does take some time. It does. Um, and I, I do think it's important. Like, I don't think that <laughs> if you can play, you can play, man. Yeah. <clears throat> and like Werner's been adjusting, but it's also obvious Werner can play. Right. That dude rolled in here and had a 40 save shutout in the NHL. And like, that may be the big thing that he does in his career 
but he's also played very well in the AHL. Well, and, and I think Werner is a great example of what you can expect in a transition from a Euro goalie a little bit, especially if it's quickly to the NHL. There are nights where his angles are on point and he posts a 40 save shutout. And then there are going to be nights where his angles aren't quite on and he gets dropped four on him very quickly and gets pulled. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, you, you fully expect that the guy is going to uh, – there are going to be ups and downs. I don't expect Anandin to come over and, and – Jump into Dude. the AHL and do like what Matt Murray did to the AHL, you know, where it was like, oh, I'm just going to put up a 935 and never look back. The Eagles certainly aren't Carpat either. No offense to them. I think they're a playoff team, but Carpat mm-hmm. has Annan facing 20 shots or less a night on average, and he's going to he's going to get a much bigger load of shots at him in the AHL. Definitely. Uh, and I think that <clears throat> I honestly I. I would have no issue if he wanted to come over next year and I could see where the organization would say, we don't need to, we can give him time yep. because they can, they can give, okay. Given the performance from Warner this year, assuming that he doesn't completely fall apart in the second half. And I think that, I think that you can make the argument for elevating Werner to the, to starter status next season and start looking ahead and saying, after Seattle expansion, Werner could be in the, the conversation backup. to be your yeah. backup. If he continues to play well and, and is projecting and trending in the right direction, then maybe, you know, you, that's that's the path that he lays out. And Colorado looks at that and says, okay, well, that worked for Werner. Let's put Annan on the same exact track, which would be one more year in Europe. And then come back, you know, he comes over here takes the backup job or splits a job right away uh, with the Eagles and then starter for the Eagles. And then you, you know, you go from there depending on where you are in the NHL and how well that guy plays. So I, I think with Annan, one more year in Europe is the safe play. The aggressive play is to get him over here next season. And historically with European goalies, the abs have left them in Europe for a, as long as they can, essentially. We saw that with Werner. We've seen that with previous goalies in the past, be it Kavacha with the team now or um, Pipok as well. And obviously those goalies didn't work out great. But yeah, Pipok mostly because of the knee injuries that basically ruined his entire career. But the Avs' general plan with European goalies seems to be let them play their time in Europe – then get him over into the AHL after that. And it's it's kind of a, a skipping step for them to me because many, many, many goalies that get signed quickly do spend time in the ECHL. And for goalies, that's normal. It's a place that they can develop. Mm-hmm. Instead, the Avs tend to let them develop in Europe and then go straight to the AHL and up from there. Yeah, and <clears throat> I'm fine with that. Yeah, you know the like, the Evs have also not had tons of goaltender talent at times in their pipeline, where it was like they've only got the one prospect. If 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 they really want to get aggressive with Annan and bring him over next year and have him tandem with Werner, then that's okay too. It's okay to have two goaltender prospects on your AHL team. You just have to have a plan for them, and you have to know that. You know, every time you start one, you're not starting the other. And that, you know, maybe maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe after what would happen with Pickard and Idacolio, <clears throat> they don't want to do that ever again. They didn't like how it worked out. Whatever. Maybe maybe that was a learning thing for them, right? Because all the, all the guys who are still in charge were still in charge back then. So <clears throat> maybe they just don't want to do that. I mean... On the other side of that coin, learning to be a tandem or even a backup goaltender at the AHL and NHL level is, is something that you have to do 
almost no goaltenders are carry price come in and immediately get the starter job with the big club from the word go right you have mm-hmm. to work your way up through you have to prove you can be a solid backup where you play once a week or whatever first before you get that opportunity we see it we've seen it for the past year couple of years in nashville with Soros behind rene just waiting for rene to fall off to get his opportunity to be the starter and he's had to hold down that backup job yeah so price it, also had price was a top five pick right so, and, very, and in a and in an insane market so like there were there were a lot of factors well, uh, that's what i'm saying is he's the outlier yeah that there were a lot of factors. like price is like a bad example for anybody to try and lean on you know Right. That, that, that's what I'm saying is goalies don't just come in and become the starter. It's that, so it, it's it's a process one way or another, whether the Avs choose to leave him in Europe or bring him to the AHL. And that I think that's where I want to pump the brakes on the hype, hype a little bit. Mm-hmm. The reality is, barring absurdity, he's still a couple years away from really making any impact at the NHL level at minimum. Yeah. I, had a, I had a gentleman from Finland angrily tweet at me after the last game and say that the abs were making a mistake by not putting him in the NHL right now. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not how development works. Like you remember, like Eustace Ananen was not like a super hyped prospect coming into this season. Right. This was a guy who's coming off like an okay year who was getting an opportunity as a, a full blown starter for the first time in Finland's top league, he's had, he's had a very good, like three or four months, but let's keep this in mind here. This was a sub 900 goaltender in Finland's second league last year. Right. Same opposite of this year. He was playing for one of the worst teams in that league, but still, you know, the reality is he's probably somewhere in between those two performances between this year and last. Right. And like his his numbers last year were lower than you would have liked. Uh, but again, like the her I mean Hermes was terrible. And it was like he he was solid last year. It was a solid year. And this year his numbers are insane. And it's like, okay, it, he's not all of a sudden Patrick Waugh. Like, there's some context here. He's playing quite well, though, and he's building hype, and it's justifiable hype. It's just that, realistically, we've got to slow the roll just a little bit here. He's, you know, he's got a, he's got a ways to go still. It's goalies, man. He could come over next year post to 950 in the AHL and just not be able to hack it in the NHL. You just never know with goalies. I mean, I I always point towards Spencer Martin as getting too far ahead of yourself on goaltender hype because that was a dude that came into the AHL. You know, he was nominated for goalie of the year in the OHL his last year there, rolled into the AHL, made an all-star appearance right away. And then was never really very good again. He had he had all kinds of hype going on him, and then lost it and never got it back. Basically, exactly. And that's that's how this works with goalies. Things just randomly take place for seemingly no rhyme or reason. Well, we'll end the second period of the podcast there. And hopefully in the future, Ananen will be the top dog in a net. But if you're looking for a top dog electrician, Piper Electric has been serving the Denver metro area since 1983. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. For any job, Piper Electric has you covered, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. They have the top professionalism and integrity in the biz. Again, call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution with Ruto and AJ. We answered the most common questions about Annan, and many, many, many of you asked about him this week. But we do have some other questions more pertaining to the Avs directly. 
Let's start with this one. It comes from Rick Bennett. He asks, why do the Avs seemingly have such problems with 3v3 and 4v4? Is the scheme just too rigid that the players are lost outside of 5-on-5? Is it because of the weak play by forwards defensively that leads to missed assignments? Things like that? Or what is going on with the Avs when you get into these special teams even-up situations? I'm assuming this stems from the 4-on-4 against Winnipeg, which was just absolutely brutal for them. They've been bad 4-on-4 in Bednar's entire tenure. They don't work on it much. Uh, It's kind of like the... All of the, it's funny to me that all of the people who are like super anti Jared Bednar and like are like, oh, he needs to be fired. They never use this as like their argument, right? Even because, though it's a legitimate weak point. <laughs> right. And like if, if I was going to start somewhere, I would not mention line changes at all. Yeah. Uh, because every single coach does that and that's not going to change with anybody ever. Um, and it's like, and it's like, like very like weird like nitpicks where you're just like, these are bad reasons to fire a head coach. Um, But then like you look at how they are at four on four, especially three on three, I think less. So I think they've really found kind of figured it out after last year where they just got punched in the face and were doing a bunch of stupid stuff uh, to get themselves beat. I, I think that the three on three issue is way less of a coaching problem than it is just an execution problem. Uh, but the four on four, I think, is a coaching problem. They don't work on it. And I can't say that I necessarily blame them for not working on it very much. Once you get into the season, you guys get rolling. You have one injury stack up. You want to take it easier in practice. Pretty much once you hit December, mid-December, uh, you stop practicing every other day the same way. You look at this week as a great example, right? Uh the last two weeks, even with the break and all of that, they came back and then it's like a day off here, a day off there. Tomorrow they have the day off. They practiced after New Year's. Today they had a morning, an optional morning skate. Like you start managing the health of your players a lot more than you're talking about installing systems and refining things. At this point, if you're still installing a system, you're probably a really bad team. And you're, I mean, you're Detroit. You're you're a Detroit or a New Jersey. Like you're not going anywhere. You're playing for the future. Uh, if if you're still trying to teach your guys things right now, uh, if if the big thing now is like you're managing. It's it's in the NBA they call it load management, and it's such a strange phrase. Um, but in the NBA in in the NHL, it's they they try and shave off those those extra days with practices and things like, and morning skates and such. Uh, and all that lost practice time that, that you choose not to, to, to use is opportunity that you could be working on something. Now, the big thing, the, the big argument against using a lot of practice time for four on four is how much do you, how much do you really play it? Right. That's what I was going to say. If you're going to cut something, the thing that happens maybe once every other game for a couple minutes is pretty high on the list of things that you're going to skip on. Absolutely. It's it's a totally for me like I, I I I lay this all out and I say I think this is a coaching issue, but I also think it's completely justifiable uh for them to not spend very much time on 4 on 4 because it's such a niche situation. And it's only ever for pretty much two minutes tops at a time. You know, if there's ever any kind of extended four on four, then you're having a really bizarre game. Something very strange has happened earlier in that game that you could probably source that issue back to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, it's it's definitely um, – it's. I think with the four on four, just – Given like just go back and watch it because I I remember as soon as they got to four on four I was like oh boy and then they win the face off and they start running like the like a basketball style weave play where they're trying to get out of the zone and like everybody's like circling and nobody knows what's going on really and it was like what is this and it blows up in their face and two minutes you know not even two minutes later they give up a goal that ends up being brutal for them yeah and 
the the forwards played like there was a third forward out there when there wasn't, basically. Right, and like like Rantanen, and you notice it's the same thing with Rantanen where he just gets seems he seems to tunnel vision. Yep, and he gets himself lost inside his own head trying to do whatever the hell he's doing, and he's he does something stupid, and he was a big culprit in the three on three problems they had last year. A big culprit. Not not saying that they lost all those games in overtime last year because of Rantanen, but his decision-making was... Particularly on the defensive side. Yeah, it was really, really questionable. And then you see the mistake that he made with the puck at the blue line going against two guys and then does not do anything defensively after he's lost it at four on four. And like, that's not a coaching problem. That's a player problem. And that's a player who you just paid a ton of money to not have those problems with. And that has to drive a coaching staff insane. It can't be, it can't be fun to watch. especially the, the double breakdown in that four on four. Rantanen gets caught behind the play is coasting back completely out of it. And at the same time, McKinnon makes an incredibly strange decision to just completely step outside of anywhere within the play and put himself in no man's land, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what are what were both of you guys thinking? And right. and the and that four on four play, the the reason why I was frustrated with Rantanen was because it starts with his turnover and then he compounds it with he compounds poor execution and a poor decision with poor effort. And like if you're working hard and you're and you're out there and you're giving it you're giving it the all, it's it's hard to come down on you. It's hard to hey, you made a bad decision, but you're working hard. You know, your heart's in the right place, et cetera, et cetera. It's for me, it's hard to come down on. So but when when you when you hit the 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 trifecta like that and you add effort into poor decision making and poor execution. There's no justifying it, and you can't be one of the team's best players in making those mistakes. Yeah, you just can't. We, we've talked about it before. I think even with Rantanen specifically, he's never going to be a superstar on the defensive side. That's not no. why the Abs have him. That's not why they paid him. But if you put a little bit of effort in on that side, a little extra effort, you can make up for that enough to a point to where you're not hurting the team with it. And you know he's still going to get cut out of position at times or whatever, but he can cut down on a lot of that issue if he's going full bore back into the defensive zone and, you know, just wax at the guy's stick or something, then you can say, well, you got beat, but at least there was some kind of something there instead of just cruising back into the zone. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, we're getting into a really micro example here. Um, but sure. This just- is, this is more of the issue when you're talking about the breakdowns in three on three on four on four. Uh, is that I think Colorado as a whole is a pretty low hockey IQ team. And I think that's a, that's a big grenade for me to throw at them. And I'm uncomfortable doing it because I have to walk in that locker room. But I honest, honest to God, I just, I think they play. I think that they play dumb hockey too often. I'll, I'll, Throw some grenades for you if you don't want to throw them. We see Burakovsky with that exact same mistake all the time at five on five. He had happened in the Jets game. It's happened for a couple of games now where he gets caught behind the play coasting. He just didn't track his man back in the zone. And it's a wide open net for whoever that happens to be. It's even happened to guys like Belmar. We've seen in the first minute of the game uh, against, was it Dallas? I think yes. he gets caught behind the play. So, this is not a Rantanen thing. This is not a Burakovsky thing. This is something that a lot of these guys on the abs, at least their forwards, are struggling with in tracking their man coming back in the systems. And I think you're correct and that alludes to the brain for these guys isn't quite processing the game fast enough in the system that the abs want them to play. What is the coach just supposed to do with that then? No, right. I I understand, you know, that's the system. And, you know, obviously the players are going to say, yeah, we can absolutely do this. And a lot of the times they do. But right now, a lot of the mistakes are cropping up and they need to be cleaned up 
whether that's playing a little bit more reserved and not getting caught behind the play in the first place or just working on tracking your man or whatever it is. I think this is as much on the players or more on the players than the system as far as that it goes for me because it's not hard to just skate harder. You might not play perfect defense, but if you back check a little bit harder, half of these problems are going to go away. I do. uh, I do agree to an extent that I think it's predominantly an execution problem. Yeah. Uh, I do think the coaching staff could have more conversations about it. Uh, They could work on it a little bit more on ice and but I also would not dedicate an enormous amount of time to it. Right. Just, just because like what we talked about, you only have so much time and you would absolutely rather worry about your guys uh, staying healthy, staying fresh and all that. I mean, look, perfect system is you possess the puck better in the offensive zone and you don't give up the odd man rush in the first place. Right. So maybe go to the source instead of trying to treat the symptom there. Yeah, exactly. All right. One last fun question to, to end up the show here. This one comes from Gary. If you got stuck in an elevator with an abs player, who would you want it to be? And what would you talk about? Uh, Repeat that. If you got stuck in an elevator with an abs player, which abs player and what would you talk about? Does Joe Sackett count as an abs player? Because I've been stuck in elevators with him before. <laughs> I'll allow it if you give us this story. Uh, okay, so we got we got stuck in the elevator uh, once upon a time. Uh, it didn't did not last very long. Uh, but uh, he had seen me at DU uh, the night before, two nights before. Uh, I was there for a uh, I was there for a political rally, and uh, not going to get into who I was there for or why I was there, any of that. I was I was there out of curiosity, and I'd never been to one before. Um, and I absolutely don't want to get into the politics of this. Okay, but yeah, I was don't at, go into that. Yeah, I that's... was at I was at DU for that reason, and going on. Um, next door to the to the what they used the where they used it uh where where it was held uh was a gymnastics competition and he had seen me there and um i was super like chatting up the the elevator operator while we were kind of stuck and he was like we were you know he was oh like what did you what what have you been up to this week? And because you know, I try and try and be friendly with those guys and just chat them up and get to know them. And they rotate that person now, so I'm less friendly than I used to be, just because it's always a different person. And it's like, ah, this is exhausting. But um, we were we were all just the three of us were all just in there, and um, you know, I it's Joe Sackick, and I this was still my first, I think my second year on the beat, so I was still pretty new on it, and I was still a little uncomfortable around him. Um, if only because like, what do you say to Joe Sackick? You know, and the, the part of me that's like torn between like growing up, freaking out as this is, was your hero. Exactly. Kind of like, yeah. this is Joe Sackick. This is Joe Sackick. And like, like somewhere, if there's an afterlife, my dad looking down on me, just laughing. But I'm in, <laughs> that like, I'm in this position. Um, and, and not being able to tell him about that really, sucks just because he would he would have gotten such a kick out of the story um which i've totally slaughtered now but he uh we we were just talking about gymnastics competitions uh because the elevator operator's granddaughter had participated in the one at du the night before and i had seen uh sakic there and sakic was like what were you doing there and i was like oh I, i was not there for any gymnastics uh i was there for something else and uh, and he was, and we we talked about why I was there a little bit. Uh, did get into some of the politics of it, but um, he was like, "Oh, those gymnastics competitions." He was like, "Those things can be the worst." He's like, "Hey, you just you sit there for five hours, and the person you're there to see is only is up there for fifteen minutes." 
and they 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 perform and then they're done. And I was like, I mean, it's kind of like watching a hockey game, right? I was like, what about all the families of all the fourth line guys you have? And how, you know, they show up and you, you know, your your coach only puts them out there for six or seven minutes in a game. And he was like, you know, I guess I hadn't thought about that that way. And I was like, see, I was like, you're, I was like, you guys are worse than the gymnastics. They pay a bunch of money to come and see you. You play that guy for seven minutes a night. And he was like, well, we do pay them. (laughs) And I was like, all right, well, that's a pretty good point. Like the gymnastics kids are all out there just doing it for fun and, you know, the, the the people watching are not getting to see the highest caliber of gymnastics in the world. So I totally understand because we're talking about like, you know, like smaller local competitions, not like an international one where you're watching Simone Biles completely rewrite gymnastics history where, you know, it's just a, a small competition at DU. It was and and like we're all just sitting here. We're all talking about these 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 two guys all have gymnastics competition experience. And I'm like, I have never been to one in my life. No. And I would never go to one because I don't have kids, uh, which no grandkids. I don't have any nieces or nephews that live here locally. So like, I'm not going to any of this stuff, right? Like this is just not part of my world. And apparently they're the worst thing ever. And Sackick and the elevator operator were just like, no, no. They they were adamant that it was that it was just not a good time from their perspective. Like they enjoyed when the person they were there went up and did their thing because it was like, hey, I'm here to be supportive of that person. But they just said that you spent so much time sitting around. All right. Well, there's the behind the scenes look that everybody yeah. wanted to see. Is Joe Sackick behind the scenes talks about gymnastics? Now you know. <laughs> um, I like that story. That's a good story. I'm a fan of that one. I mean, it was funny when it happened because I was still shy around him. Right. And so I didn't really, I hadn't developed like that comfort that I have now. Like uh, when Jesse uh, Montano and I were in uh, Dallas for the draft a couple years ago after he did his press conference, because, you know, he had kind of a big day uh, right before the draft started on day one. He trades for Philip Grubauer, signs him to an extension drafts Martin Kaut. Um, and, and, you know, we went and we go and talk to him and after he got done, he's, he's standing there and usually PR is pretty quick to, to be like, that's press. Don't talk to them. They're evil. And for whatever reason that day, everybody was just feeling very casual. I don't know what it was. And Sackett comes up to Jesse and, and myself and, and he's just like, so what do you guys been up to? And Jesse and I are like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, like you guys just hanging out. And you, what are you guys doing after the after the draft is over tonight? And you guys been here for a few days. Like what's been going on? And so we were, we just had like the most normal, like small talk conversation. Uh, we were, we were telling Sackick about, you know, where, where we were staying and all oh, we went to Pecan Lodge for, for uh barbecue that afternoon. Like everybody in the NHL media did that day. Um, and it was just like totally normal conversation. That was well after I had developed that comfort level with him where I had talked to him several times. Uh, the, that time in the elevator that I, I was still, I still got a little nervous around him. Uh, and so it was just like, we're talking about gymnastics and I'm sweating bullets here. All right. Well, the moral of the story is chat people up in elevators because you might just become buds with Joe Sackick. Well, you never know. Like I've and I've like run into uh, abs players in in various situations out in the wild over the last several years. Uh, I ran into Tyson Berry at um, Panera of all places. I was just sitting there eating some soup and I ran into Barry there and like we talked for a few minutes and it was the funniest thing to me. Right. Because like, there are people who are like, Oh my God, that's Tyson Barry. And I'm just sitting here just like talking to him like a, like an old pal. And it's, it's just, yeah. right. And it's, and it's so odd because like, I'm naturally kind of a shy person and I try very hard to give the players their respect uh, and not be like, 
if I see them out somewhere and not be like, oh, you know who I am. You have to talk to me, you know, just because I, I think the dealing with the media is probably one of their collective least favorite parts of their job. Uh, and I try to I try to be respectful of their space when they're not on mandated deal with media time. And it's still funny to me that some of the guys are just and and one of the reasons why I was such a big fan of Barry is he was always such a nice guy and he was always so genuine about it. I never felt like he was gritting his teeth and putting up with me. Um, I always felt like he was just happy to talk, whatever. And I would, you know, it's it's just funny to see these guys out and like as people you get to this job yeah. opens you up to the the person side of of the players that get put on this pedestal. And it's it is funny to see like. Sometimes that's really awesome, and sometimes it's disappointing. Uh, and and it also gives me that extra perspective when people are like, oh, you should trade this guy or trade that guy. Like, all the people who want to get rid of EJ probably don't understand how deeply EJ loves being an app. Right. It's I definitely can appreciate that as well. Obviously pretty new to that gig and getting in the locker room and stuff, but definitely one of the, the first feelings I had coming out of that locker room was they're all just people, too. You know, yeah, and they're willing to just talk with you. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know if I've told this story. This has turned into like story time, but that's, uh, this is what everyone comes for. The people who stayed are gonna love uh, this. So when uh, uh, when I met Kevin Connaughton in the preseason, I don't know if I've told the story on the pod before, and if I have, I apologize. Uh, but I was sitting in his locker, um, after he had already left for the day, because uh, you know they had different sessions and all that stuff was going on. Uh, and he was already, he was like, he had already left. I was sitting in his locker waiting to talk to uh, somebody else and uh, whoever, whoever's locker was next to him. And it's funny that I don't remember who it is now um, because this was, this ended up being like the part of my day. Right. Oh, I was waiting to talk to Callie Rosen and um, I was sitting in Connaughton's locker and he came back in to pick something up out of it and was just like, hi, I'm Kevin. And I was like, oh, hi, I'm in your locker. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, you know, I was just, I thought you were gone. And he was like, no, it's good to meet you. How's it going? Who are you? And we, I ended up, I ended up just chatting with him for several minutes and um, found out that, uh, you know, like me, um, his has has Texas roots now uh, as he I guess he and his family actually like moved there at one point, uh, you know, being from Canada. Uh, it's funny to me that he was like, oh, yeah, we totally ended up in Texas. But I guess when the wife wants to live close to the family, right, like that's where you end up. And and but but Connaughton and I just ended up talking for a solid like 10 or 15 minutes just about like nothing. And it, it would just and it started because I was just sitting in his locker randomly had I not been, he probably wouldn't have said anything to me and I would not have reached out to him. And uh, when he got called up, I, you know, I was taught we were talking about uh, the Western Canada road trip and he ended up, you know, playing on that one um, against McDavid. And of course he had the six point night. It was a total fiasco, but he was really excited to get back and see his family um, because that was kind of the area where he's from and blah, 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 blah. Right. And this this was like you just meet these guys and you just start talking to them and some of them are a lot more open than others you know i i tend to keep my conversations uh and the things that i talk about with mckinnon on the down low um you know are off off the record stuff and on the record like it's very limited because nate doesn't like talking to media very much and i very much value the relationship that i have with him and so I don't, you know, I'm not as open about that stuff, but like Kevin Connaughton's like the nicest guy in the world. And if it weren't for Mark Barbario might be my favorite guy in that locker room, just because he was so nice. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of them in that locker room that are really, really, really nice guys. And there are some who are a lot more guarded, uh, but it's, but like Connaughton was just like the nicest guy in the world. And it does. I will say, uh, just from a journalistic standpoint, like it does make it a little difficult sometimes um, to to criticize them um, yeah, and to, to sure. say things that you know. Like this is a really nice guy. 
I had a really awesome conversation with him, and I'm sure this is really going to suck for him when he sees or hears whatever criticism I've laid at their feet, you know, because I do have a job to do and I, and, and it's always hockey related. And I've had these conversations a lot this year uh, with one particular player where, um, you know, he was frustrated with me and felt like I had, I was being kind of two faced with him. And, and I, I was, I understood where that, I totally understand where that comes from because I'm, you know, I'm nice and I'm and, and personable in person, and then I come on the podcast or I write a, I write a player grade, and it can be a little scathing at times, but it's not like that, you know. And and I explained my side of things, and it was like, hey, like, you know, I have to separate these two, and it's one reason why I try and respect their time away from the rink. Like reporters that become players' pals and like. And like, it's, it's one thing to be like, Hey, we get along really well. And there's like a mutual professional respect, but to be, be like a player, like a pal of the players, I think crosses a professional line that I think is inappropriate. And, um, I try to walk that line and it can be difficult because I had such a nice time talking with Kevin Connaught and I was like, I would have a beer with that guy. You know, Mark Barbario is the greatest guy on the planet. There isn't an Avs fan out there whose day would not be better spending 10 minutes around him. You know, like it's, it's just, it's tough and it's, it's a privilege of the job to be able to, uh, to get these like human side of things and to be able to have these stories. Um, if you'll, if you'll allow me since I'm already in this room, in, in this room, um, we, we did all of our end of the decade stuff and people were asking me the Chris Wagner story. And I'd forgotten about this, but I went to, uh, I went down during a game in which Chris Wagner was an Av and he was a scratch that night. And I was standing in the tunnel in the last five minutes, like I normally do at Avs games. Um, and I was standing in the tunnel and Chris Wagner was down there and there was a little girl in the stands who was just so excited to see him. I don't know if she knew who he was or whatever. Right. But she was just so excited that there was an abs player like there. And he was like waving to her and said hi to her, all these things. Right. It was very cute. And then he was like, ah, be right back. And he goes back and he goes and got the, he, he went into the locker room and grabbed the stick that he used from warmups and gave it to the little girl. And the little girl, of course, the little girl was just so excited and she couldn't contain herself. She just started bawling, like bawling. And it was just so cute. And then he watched the rest of the game standing down there, uh, reaching up, like reaching all the way up into the into the stands and like holding her little hand because she was crying because she was so happy. And um, like he just like held her little hand for the rest of the game and the game finished and then he was like, okay, like it's great meeting you, but I, I gotta go now. I'm sorry. And like, that's how you make like a lifelong fan of something. Right. And, and like, this is like Chris Wagner. Like this is, this is not like a superstar player. You know, it's not, it's not like when PK Subban was down there signing autographs and handing stuff out to people, you know, this is like Chris Wagner. A guy that got claimed off of waivers a month ago. <laughs> exactly. Like this is a Chris Wagner, like a guy that most diehard abs fans five years from now will have forgotten. He played for them if they haven't already, you know, like it was such a, such a short stint. And like Chris Wagner is a, a pest we'll say on the ice, a guy with a reputation amongst the players and there he was, like, like made this little girl's, like, life. Like, that girl, I don't know where she is. I hope that she's, you know, still alive and well and doing and doing great. But, you know, like, still a hockey fan. Forever a hockey fan because of Chris Wagner that night. And I think that that, that humanity uh, of the players and that side of them is just one of those things that makes sports so special and bridges the gap between the, the hero worship that we kind of laud on them and the reality of them as just people. There are moments like that, that are significantly bigger than just hockey for sure. I can tell you, I remember that story. I don't remember how that game ended. 
<laughs> right. The it's obvious what the more important thing is there. I think to everybody, hockey fan or otherwise. Yep. So. I hate the cutoff story time, but we were running extremely long on Sorry this pod. No, I'm sure everyone's going to love it. Um, the Avs do play a very big game against the St. Louis Blues in a couple of hours, though. So just very quick final thoughts, and we'll get out of here. Big game tonight. We're going to yep. talk a lot about it tomorrow, but this one's big. This one matters more than your regular era, uh, more than your. This one matters more than the game that they will play on Saturday against New Jersey. For sure. I'm with you on that. So that to look forward to all of these moments off the ice sometimes can be just as game changing as Strava Craft coffee is. So Strava Craft is the CBD enriched coffee that has really changed lives. They have incredible reviews that I'm sure you've already checked out. Their coffee can help take away long term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and even help decrease anxiety. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and get 20% off when you use code DNBR20 at checkout, and you can get it shipped straight to your door. Hope y'all enjoyed the story time with AJ in this last segment, as well as answering some of your questions. As always, thank you for listening, and we will be back to talk about that Blues game tomorrow.